It's Friday, June 14th, 2019. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. If you want to get a feel for the growing popularity of trails in American life, look no further than billboard advertising for residential real estate. 10 or 20 years ago, these kinds of ads typically featured luxury amenities such as swimming pools or tennis courts. But these days, they're often geared toward a very different sort of consumer. Almost always the way they sell those developments is by a picture of a person jogging on a trail or a family out with their stroller on a trail around a pond. You know, it's never about the tennis court. Or even golf courses some days, trails are becoming the new golf course. That's just one anecdote among many pointing to a nationwide boom in trail building in cities, suburbs, and rural areas. But there are still wide swaths of the country where trails remain few and far between. Those gaps correlate with lower scores on public health and wellness metrics, not to mention missed economic opportunities. On this episode, we're going to get a bird's-eye view of the trails industry across the U.S. and around the world, and find out how trail development in Pennsylvania compares with other states and countries. That's all coming up on this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies. But first, news from the PEC Policy Shop, which has been hard at work all this year on advancing legislation to decarbonize electricity generation in Pennsylvania. And we just got our first look at the fruits of those labors earlier this month when state Senate Democratic leader Jay Costa of Allegheny County released a co-sponsor memo for his forthcoming Energy Innovation and Investment Act. This bill would mandate a 90 percent reduction in carbon pollution from the state's electricity sector by 2040. And it would accomplish that by capping emissions and establishing a technology-neutral market for clean energy produced in-state. Revenues from that marketplace would then be reinvested in programs to develop more clean energy and also to soften the attendant economic impacts on workers, utility rate payers, and communities in what the memo calls a cap-and-invest system. John Walliser is PEC's vice president for legal and government affairs. He has been closely involved on our behalf in the conversation on carbon pricing that's been in progress all this year in Harrisburg. He joins us now with more on the legislation and its path forward in the General Assembly. John, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Rush. This uh, legislation from Senator Costa, this is not just a, a goal-setting sort of aspirational type, we want to hit this target by 2040. It's actually kind of mandating that, am I right, and, and setting a, a mechanism in place to, to actually get there? That's right. So it's saying we have this goal of wanting to accomplish 90% reductions from the electric power sector by 2040. DEP, we want you to go forth and do this, and here's sort of the parameters of how we want you to do it, and here's what we intend to do with the revenues that are generated from the program. And so, yeah, what are we going to do with the, those revenues? This is a cap and invest, right? What cap does that mean? Cap and invest. So it's really speculative right now in terms of how much money a cap and trade system in Pennsylvania would generate. If you look at what uh, other states have uh, achieved through participation in programs like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, it's pretty significant. So what this legislation will do is it will lay out a framework for these are the types of initiatives and programs we want to invest in. So it really runs the gamut from we want to do investment in clean energy technologies, worker transition, community assistance for those communities that are impacted by power plant closures. But it also looks at things like uh, customer bill assistance, 
particularly for lower-income residents of the Commonwealth, energy efficiency programs, which both reduces energy demand and saves money, um, really a, a broad array of different types of programs. And so those are all details that would be worked out by DEP in the event that this becomes law, or how, how would that play well, out? Well, my understanding is the legislation is going to be pretty prescriptive in terms of these are the buckets we want the money to go into. Okay. Uh, some of them are probably existing programs. Some of them may be new programs, but they will have sort of broad outlined goals. And this will hopefully kind of grease the skids in the legislature. It'll make it possible to do a little horse trading that would bring more supporters on board potentially? Yes. I mean, this is something that the General Assembly would have to do anyway. Right. Uh, any type of program like this that would generate revenue, it's the prerogative of the General Assembly to determine what happens with that money, uh, especially new money coming in like this. But yes, I mean, this is revenue that hopefully will help bring people to the table because they'll understand that doing a program like this not only is going to have environmental benefits for the Commonwealth, it's also going to provide assistance, incentives for uh, consumers, residents, businesses, and the like. So in terms of how we actually get to these emission reductions, uh, there are a couple of possibilities sort of outlined in in the bill as it stands now. I understand uh, one of those would involve joining a regional marketplace uh, as we've been recommending at PEC, something like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Talk about that a little bit and some of the possible pathways to this goal. So I think this legislation is going to allow Pennsylvania to sort of choose your own adventure in the sense Mm -hmm. that Pennsylvania can set up its own program uh, that really sort of is self-contained, but one day could link to other states like California, um, or it could Pennsylvania could try to develop a program that, you know, obviously addresses Pennsylvania, but does so as part of a broader initiative like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which is a multi-state partnership that currently has nine states participating, is going to be expanding to 11 um, not including Pennsylvania, of course. Um, so it's really directing the Department of Environmental Protection uh, with input from different stakeholders to say what, what really is the most cost-effective way for Pennsylvania to do this, what's going to give us the greatest flexibility, what's going to maximize sort of our economic benefit. And on the subject of Reggie and similar approaches, the bill doesn't specifically say Pennsylvania will join this initiative. It rather, it, it sort of empowers DEP to make that determination? Well, I think it's going to uh, charge the department with looking at, again, what are the sort of the, what's the best way to do this? Factoring in, you know, that Pennsylvania is really unique. We're an energy exporter. We have a high percentage of both fossil fuel sources like natural gas and coal, as well as zero carbon sources like renewables and nuclear. So we're a little unique. There are other states in uh, programs like Reggie that are also high energy producers, but most of them aren't. So Pennsylvania joining a program like Reggie is not only going to necessitate decision making on Pennsylvania's side, it's going to require a negotiation with all those existing states in in, uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative about how does Pennsylvania come in, what are the parameters, and when does that happen? So I think what the legislation is doing is trying to maximize the flexibility for a program in Pennsylvania to really have the best outcome. This is really early days, but do you have a sense right now of uh, how the politics plays out? What kind of support might be uh, gettable for this? Um, At this point, I would say no. It's early in the game. We haven't seen the actual legislation language yet. It's June, which means the General Assembly is all consumed by the budget. 
it's very doubtful that this legislation will get any traction in the near term. Probably what's much more likely is that when the General Assembly reconvenes in the fall uh, and takes up the issue of, again, what do we do about existing zero carbon sources in Pennsylvania like nuclear generation, this will then be brought into the mix. Over the past several months, as the debate over nuclear energy in Pennsylvania has been going on, there's been hearings in the House, there's been hearings in the Senate. We participated in one of those hearings. Something like this legislation, participating in Reggie, developing some sort of market-based approach, came up again and again. And it came up from environmentalists, it came up from industry, it came up from generators, and it came up from consumer advocates. So I think there is genuine interest in this. I think it's something that can potentially bring everyone to the table. And it still sort of checks those boxes that PET cares about in that it's an all-of-the-above all strategy. So I think it will come to attention probably in the fall, though. How responsive do you think lawmakers are or, or may be in the near future to changing public attitudes about climate? I was just reading a poll this morning from Muhlenberg College that says something like 51% of Pennsylvanians view climate change as a very serious public health issue and another 25% say it, it is an issue. So three-quarters of Pennsylvanians – and this is just one recent example of a trend that I think we're seeing more and more. People are concerned about climate change and they're looking to their leaders to take action. Do you think that enters into the political process on something like this? Oh, I think it, it absolutely does. There was a, a poll that was done by the Global Strategy Group back in April that showed uh, almost 80 percent of Pennsylvania's support the legislature, the governor, combination of both doing some sort of program to cap and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But I think it's also what's also factoring in legislators' minds are, you know, technology's ever-evolving, business is ever-evolving. You have to set up the right type of program in your state that's really going to have the right types of incentives and nudges and whatever else you want to call it to really generate that clean energy economy that we're all heading towards and to further advance sort of the emission reduction technologies that even fossil fuel sources like gas and coal can utilize. So I think it's it's partially public pressure and public recognition that this is an extraordinary issue for the Commonwealth. I think it's also making sure that Pennsylvania stays ahead of the curve in terms of uh, energy and economic development. And legislatively, we're not expecting to see much happen until the fall, you're saying. From there, what would the timeline look like potentially? Well, even if this legislation were to pass on you know day two of introduction, uh, it would still necessitate a very prolonged public process. Any sort of cap-and-trade market-based program would have to be predicated on a regulation or rulemaking that's done by the Department of Environmental Protection. And as we've seen for a number of different programs, that's a multi-year process. So even if, if Pennsylvania in the fall were to make the decision, advance the legislation, get it signed by the governor, you're probably looking at 2020, 2021 at the earliest for a program to go into effect. Which has to meet its goal within less than 20 years at that That's point. That's right. All right. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll bring you back in as the story develops. John, thanks for the update. Thank you. This spring, members of the Peck Trails team traveled to Syracuse, New York, to meet with colleagues from around the country and around the world at the International Trails Symposium. The biennial gathering is hosted by American Trails, a nationwide nonprofit dedicated to advocating for trails and greenways and their many economic, health, and quality of life benefits all across the U.S., 
Mike Passo is American Trail's executive director. I called him at his home base on the West Coast to learn more about the organization and about Pennsylvania's place in the national trails landscape. Mike, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Thank you. Can you start off by just telling us a bit about American Trails, uh, your mission, the work you do? Yeah, you bet. American Trails is a national trails advocacy organization. We've been around for a little over 30 years now, since 1988. And we work on behalf of all trail interests across the country, including motorized and non-motorized, equestrian, mountain biking, kind of the whole gamut, water trails even. And we work to kind of strengthen the trails industry and provide some of the common messaging and some of the support that smaller trail organizations and trail advocacy groups can use to build the case for trails in their, in their area. Well, it's, it seems to me that you have a pretty interesting job insofar as, you know, as you know, trails are very local, very specific, and it seems like trail development especially happens on the ground with the involvement of often very small local organizations. PAC has a, a little bit of a broader view, uh, a little bit more of a regional point of view via our involvement in organizations like the uh, the Industrial Heartlands Trails Coalition here in western Pennsylvania or the Circuit Trails Coalition of the Philadelphia area. And we know there are other similar initiatives around the country. But we, at, at PAC anyway, and I think a lot of the groups that we work with are not really accustomed to thinking in terms of the big picture necessarily, the national level or or even beyond uh, internationally. Can you talk a bit about that big picture? What does it look like from where you sit and where does uh, American Trails fit in? It's interesting. We're in a a very interesting time for trails, I feel like. And and this is largely anecdotal, but I, I do feel like there's never been a time, at least in the time that I've been involved with, trails, which is about 20 years, that the trails have had a greater impact and a greater potential impact on the economic and social and health of everyday people's lives. I feel like the support for trails is great right now. And it's kind of surprising, you know, from our difficult political times that we're in, trails still remain a very bipartisan effort and they have a lot of support from both sides of the aisle in the policy side and just anecdotally if you look around while you're traveling to and from your your work on a commute you know i i can almost guarantee you look up and you see an advertisement for a new development being put in and almost always the way they sell those developments is by a picture of a person jogging on a trail or a family out with their stroller on a trail around a pond. You know, it's never about the tennis court or even golf courses. Some days trails are becoming the new golf course for development nationwide. And, you know, there's some really great connections that are starting to happen between tourism and the support for trails and the understanding of how trails can, can really transform an active living situation in a rural community that has had trouble with, with getting their, folks active and outdoors. And trails are the way to get people to do that. 
especially that last part that you mentioned with the rural communities, that's been something that I think has struck a lot of us over here in our part of the country. We're almost at this point accustomed to seeing the real estate marketing angle that you were talking about, that we know that employers in Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia and other cities want to be able to entice employees to come and work for them on the basis of all the great amenities that their cities have. And trails are always really close to the top of that list. And this is a dynamic that we're fairly familiar with. But in Pennsylvania, in western Pennsylvania, where I'm based, really in the last maybe five to 10 years, it seems like the smaller towns are really getting on this bandwagon in a big way, especially when you consider how maybe a little bit longer ago there was some there was more active resistance to just the idea of trails. Like, what do we do with this? Is this going to bring people into our community that we don't necessarily want to have around? What do we get out of it? And so on. But more recently, there's just been this awakening uh, to all of these economic opportunities that trails bring, particularly in a lot of rural communities in Pennsylvania that uh, lost their industrial base long ago and have kind of been adrift ever since. Now they're latching onto to trail development. How does that pattern map out against what you see at the national level? Is what I'm describing a nationwide phenomenon? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think it is a in in the big picture it's definitely a nationwide phenomenon it's happening in rural communities all throughout the country uh, in all corners of the country but there are still very very obvious and very noticeable gaps in the south and in the midwest where that infrastructure just isn't in place yet and it becomes very noticeable it becomes very obvious when you look at at active living lifestyles in those same areas. We're starting to map out where trails are as an organization with a group we're calling Trails Move People, where we're kind of investing in the research that shows where the trails are in our country, where they aren't more specifically, and then starting to match up the trends between those, you know, with health metrics in the communities that don't have trails versus health metrics in the communities that are burgeoning with trails. Probably the best example of of that transformation has happened in Bentonville, Arkansas, where they, you know, historically have had, you know, fairly poor health metrics and poor active living metrics down there. And they, they really invested through foundation support in developing a, a very active trail system within a relatively small town. And it's just completely transformed the economic numbers and the health benefit numbers dramatically, almost entirely because of investment in trails. And that's happening in pockets throughout the nation for sure. But it isn't isn't full coverage by any means. There's large gaps that we need to address. Where are you seeing those gaps the most? And then what are the parts of the country or, or the world in general maybe that are seeing the most activity in the trail space? The American West probably has some of the most activity. And the flip side, well, Pennsylvania is actually a perfect example of an area where it's really kind of the top of the game in terms of developing that trail infrastructure and connecting it to the health of rural communities. There's just There's been a huge amount of research in your area and in the Northeast as well. But the places where it isn't showing up as well is the heartland area and the south. They're probably the biggest gaps that we're noticing right now. You know, Alabama and Mississippi are not leaders in trails and have not invested in trails. And to some degree, Kansas as well 
Nebraska's kind of burgeoning. Lincoln is actually the the best town in America, Lincoln, Nebraska, for having a trail the closest to the highest number of population per capita. So um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, every person is closest to a trail than in any other part of the country. And it's you can then correlate that again with active living metrics that really work out. But so Nebraska is kind of one of those states that's starting to burgeon in the, the heartland area. And you can really see the effects when the states around it, Kansas and Oklahoma, are are not having the same success with trails. How do you account for those discrepancies? Is it just a matter of political will or is it a cultural thing or something more structural than that? Or is it just some, something you can't even really make a broad statement about and it's just it's just idiosyncratic and very local? Well, you had mentioned the industrial, former industrial areas and and this would be, you know, in the heartland, it's former farm areas and things like that. And they have not had the opportunity to use trails to understand their benefits because, you know, everything's so spread out and it's hard to get a trail that's effective for that kind of a spread of population. So it just isn't front of mind for a lot of folks in those areas. You know, there are other things that are front of mind for the everyday person in those areas. And and it's not until they get the opportunity to use a trail to understand its benefits or to see how it transforms a corridor in their community. And to have somebody say, hey, you know, an investment in trails versus an investment in sidewalks in my community could have a drastically different effect on the community and and the overall quality of the community and the perceived active living benefits of the community. You know, it's not necessarily uh, like the politicians are actively anti-trails necessarily. It just hasn't occurred to them that that is a way to invest in my community or in my region. It seems that in Pennsylvania, one of the reasons maybe that we've made some inroads there, so to speak, is that there is a real focus at the state government level on uh, trails as part of transit, right? It's not simply recreation and tourism, but it's actually a practical way for people to get around. Is that something that is sinking in in other parts of the country? Absolutely. I think it's critical that we connect the transportation piece to it all. It's where right now it's the area, (laughs) frankly, to be, I guess, quite honest, that funding is available to improve those processes versus the recreation side of things. It is becoming more of a thing, and we just had a meeting in uh, Syracuse, New York, of the International Trail Symposium, and one of the really gratifying parts of that meeting was the state trail administrators meeting where there was more energy and more engagement on the state trail administrator side. So each state in theory has a has a federal highway administration state trail administrator that coordinates the trail programs within that state and in its connection to transportation, especially since it's through the federal highway program. Historically, you know, often those positions are part-time, 20% of a of a person doing an entirely different job. And it was very gratifying to see a lot of the state trail administrators having the time and having the focus to really put their attention to how they can develop their, their trails as transportation um, within their state and taking away other states' best practices and applying them to their own efforts is really 
it's really starting to burgeon, I think, and it's it was really neat to see that happening right before our eyes. Well, you mentioned the International Trail Symposium where you have a chance to meet with colleagues from around the world. I'm really curious what you're taking away from, from those gatherings. What are What are people doing in other countries around trails? They're finding the same effects really in a lot of cases. They're discovering that investment in trails really can turn around an economy in in a small country or a second or third world country they can really put some energy into trail creation and for you know less money than huge infrastructure projects they can really get some very high return on their investment and it, it often comes in the form of tourism other countries are actually doing a much better job than the US in connecting tourism to trails and trails to tourism. And I think we have a lot to learn from them in that regard. Tourism is the primary funding mechanism for trails in a lot of developing countries and even first world countries overseas by connecting tourism dollars and getting a return off of tourism dollars going into supporting the trails infrastructure in their country they're seeing just a complete explosion of tourism and the dollars coming in from outside of their country and then supporting the sustainable network within their country. That, to me, is one of the biggest um, takeaways that I've seen, you know, in, in a country like Nepal, definitely, a, you know, a struggling country in terms of bringing in dollars. They've always had a bit of a tourism industry, but it's always been around the the climbing culture or the hardcore culture, which, you know, you can't get a huge influx of that type of an intensive tourism structure. But you can by expanding that trails network that started to serve the tourism of climbers, expanding that into the cities that are surrounding in the gateway communities to those mountain areas. By adding trails into that area, they're increasing their tourism of a group of people that are more able, they are more able to get a larger group of people like families and the people that aren't going to go climb Mount Everest, but are going to go and visit Nepal and go to Kathmandu and take in the culture. And while they're doing that, they're using trails and they're supporting the trail network that's bringing them there. So how far along are they on that process? Can I go and can I ride the Himalayas today if I want to? You can ride the foothills of the Himalayas. Yeah, Nepal is really has really taken the lead. It's definitely not a, you know, a mountain bike culture there by any means, but they are developing trail systems and they're developing the structure and the economic foothold there where people are leading, you know, day hikes out of Kathmandu and they're leading horseback adventures out of Kathmandu for people that just want to go out for the day. You're starting to see it more and more. And because that's bringing the money that can support it, it's building on itself and becoming a pretty fast growing part of their economy. Shifting a little bit to focus on your advocacy efforts at the national level and in whatever other levels American Trails is active, I think I heard that you have a background in the outdoor industry. I'd love to hear your point of view on how businesses, small and large, that have an economic stake in outdoor recreation can or should be involved in you know, trying to influence policy you know, in their communities. Right, yeah. My background... I've been the executive director of American Trails for about two years. Before that, I was the 
executive director of the professional trail builders for about 10 years. And that was kind of a part-time job. And my other job while I was doing that was running a sea kayak tour company out of the San Juan Islands in Washington state. And that came out of guiding canoe and kayak trips for people of all abilities for years before that. We operated almost entirely on water trails all throughout the San Juan Islands and southeast Alaska. So I developed a real real appreciation for, you know, water trails are essentially a little bit different than land trails because it's not a, an individual path over <laughs> over the water, but it's a series of connected launch points and camping spots and things like that. And you can go any direction, but you have all this infrastructure there to, to make that water trail useful. So you can go out and you can camp for four days on this water trail, or you can find a place to go to the bathroom or to get out and go have lunch, things like that. So I do think trails support an entire industry of outdoor recreation that isn't always, you know, necessarily the most obvious or the most recognized in the ways that it supports it. People have a tendency, I think, when they go out, that trails just exist. They don't really realize that trails are infrastructure and that they require maintenance and that they require investment. So we need to make that connection on the, you know, on the national level and to the everyday person that trails are an important part of our infrastructure and are important to be invested in in the same way that our roads need to be invested in and our park systems need to be invested in. They're a critical part of happiness and health and heritage across our country. The Pennsylvania Environmental Council, obviously we're an environmental organization, but we do a lot with trails. And the reason for that is we believe that outdoor recreation generally is sort of an avenue to involvement in the environment and stewardship. We get people spending more time outdoors. They're more likely to care what happens and more likely to become involved in, in affecting it for the better. I'm just wondering about if that idea connects with your mission. Are people who are passionate about trails and, and outdoor recreation across the country, around the world, are they also pretty reliably environmentally inclined? Yeah, absolutely. And because trails kind of cut across the spectrum, you know, there's different perceptions of trail users and how the environmental inclination can come in the form of conservation stewardship instead of necessarily environmental stewardship. So in that way, it kind of spans, you know, the conservative, progressive spectrum that we all live in. So there's different ways that different people see that environmental stewardship, and it largely comes through how they use their trail system and how they use the land that that trail system allows access to. And I agree 100% that if people can't get out there into the land through a trail, almost always through a trail, they're not going to have the inclination to step up and answer that call to action, you know, from the American Hiking Society saying, you need to support this legislation or you need to call your senator right now. What we're finding kind of on the national level is that we have a ton of trail stewardship that happens across the country. There's volunteer groups that come out and support and get rid of that invasive species and spend the day collecting trash on their trails. But ultimately, what seems like a ton of people only ends up being like 1% or 2% of, of the population. And that equation, I think, needs to change 
and it's definitely one of our goals, you know, from American Trail standpoint, is to support the stewardship side of things. Because right now, it's pretty well known there's a very large trail maintenance backlog on our federal lands especially, but also on our regional, state, and county lands. You know, our federal land management agencies are not getting more money every time they ask Congress for more money. They're actually barely treading water and and are probably at the levels that they were at funding-wise that they had in the 90s. It just has not gone up commensurate with the amount of trail use, uh, which is just completely exploding. So the only way we're going to be able to maintain our trails and get rid of that trail maintenance backlog is through upping that percentage of people that are engaged in trail stewardship. So that has to be one of the primary motivators for us to maintain our trail system and hopefully grow our trail system in the future. Well, Mike, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being on Pennsylvania Legacies. Thank you very much for having me. It was great talking to you. That's American Trails Executive Director Mike Passo. You can learn all about American Trails and the International Trails Symposium at americantrails.org. We'll link it in the show notes for this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies, which are available, as always, on the PEC website at peckpa.org. There you can find information on our trails and outdoor recreation program and much more, including past episodes of the podcast, videos, blog posts, information on legislation advancing in the state legislature and other policy matters, a wealth of information at your fingertips when you visit PECPA.org. One of many ways in which you can connect with the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. Follow us on Twitter at PECPA. We're on Facebook, too. You can send an email to the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast at legacies at PECPA.org. We'll have another episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. Music.